Hey, let's welcome Pastor Rome this morning. Amen. It's been an interesting morning already. Um, locked, my, my, I got a new truck, or I used a new truck, and I found out a wonderful thing. When you start it up to warm it up and close the door, it automatically locks. <laughs> and uh, I haven't made a spare key yet. And so when it when it shut, it, it doesn't latch really good unless you slam it, which is good because I was able to stick a ski pole through the crack as I pulled the door open, and then I had to actually get two ski poles together. And there's a I have a sliding cargo window automatic, which is nice. So I reached down and got on the dash until it opened up for me, and then I shoved Madeline, my six year old girl, through. She climbed through and unlocked it. And, that was all at 7 o'clock this morning. So, hallelujah. Whew. I want to read something to you this morning. It's very serious. I am writing in response to your request for additional information. In block three of the accident report form, I put poor planning as the cause. Of my accident, you asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which weighed, which later weighed slightly in excess of 400 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in Block 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 165 pounds. (laughs) Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly... I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. (laughs) Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equal speed. This explained the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued up my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the ropes in spite of beginning to experience pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel that weighed approximately 50 pounds, I refer to you again to my weight, as you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations of my legs and lower body. But here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. 
I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. (laughs) And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers your inquiry. (laughs) (laughs) The job finished him. God, I thank you for levity. Well, I thank you that we can learn from experiences even as this. And Father, as we go into a time this morning, God, I really just just need a touch from you this morning from some hecticness going on. Lord, that I recognize is, is really an attack from you. Father, as we get into this time of the Word, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, God. I pray that you would Help us to make a commitment to your word. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your grace, which gets me through each and every day. Father, we can't do anything that we try to do apart from you. Truly apart from you, we can do nothing. Father, but I just ask that you would be with us this morning. Fill and strengthen each of us. I thank you for a new day, and that this is the day that the Lord has made. Father, we rejoice and we're glad in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This morning I want to share from the book of Judges. And and I want to share, uh, focus on one of the major keys of the book, and I'll share what that is in just a moment. Um, And I'm not going to ask who read who has ever read the book of Judges? Because I'd hate for some of you to be tempted to lie. But Judges is in the Old Testament, immediately following the book of Joshua. And Joshua is another excellent book. Joshua is a book of conquest. It's a book of victory. And in fact, Joshua itself means Jehovah saves. And Judges follows this, this great book of Joshua where we find Joshua leading the people after the death of Moses, Joshua continued the task and he brought the people into the promised land. And we find it's just a great encouraging book of of victory in in the name of God. And Judges comes right there at at the beginning of Judges, end of Joshua. We find Joshua giving his farewell addresses to the people, reminding them of their covenants talking to them about what to do when they now need to, to finish taking the land, the land of Canaan. And we find uh, at, at the end in verse 24-15, I just want to read a couple of scriptures in Joshua. Just go back a couple pages if you're in Judges. In verse 15 of Joshua 24, it said Joshua is making his address and he's getting he's, he's, he's up there in age. And, and he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a famous verse, of course, and many of us have that. I've got that a little plaque right as you enter into my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But Joshua's making a statement. He's talking to the people. He says, you need to really think about what you're going to do. Choose who you're going to serve. Who are you going to serve? I remember the old song. Some of you older people might remember the Bob Dylan song. You have to serve somebody. It might be the devil. Or it might be the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. And, and, that, and that's true. We have to choose who we're going to serve. And, it, and it's something we, we have to physically, mentally, spiritually do. We have to choose to serve God. And Joshua is reminding them. Now, the book of Judges is really one of the darkest times, if not the, the darkest time in the history of Israel. After the death of Joshua, the book, whole book of Judges is story after story of the people of Israel being in sin, following other gods and worshiping other gods and walking away from the things of God. And then God would raise up a judge and the judge would deliver Israel from their enemies and the people would temporarily serve God and then they would fall back in to the things of worshiping other gods and the things of the world. And then once again, God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, and he would rescue them. And they went through this process. It's a very sad time. A lot of uh, worship of foreign gods was happening. There was uh, The Israelites were being disobedient to the things that God had commanded them. It was a repeated cycle. And the theme of the book is found, uh, I believe the theme of Judges is found in Judges 17. Hello in the nursery over there. In Judges 17.6 it says this, In those days... There was no king in Israel, and each man did that which was right in his own eyes. I believe that's the theme, that's one of the key themes of the book of Judges, that each man did that which was right in his own eyes. And the people would fall into sin, not serving God. There was no king. They, just, they had a king. The king was God. The king was the Lord. And yet they had no king. They despised his leadership. They didn't want his leadership in their life. They didn't have a formal king. And so what did each person do? Whatever they wanted. And God would have to raise up a deliverer. And, and the deliverer would deliver them from their enemies. But as soon as that was done, they would often turn back into their ways. And they would sin all over again. There was 12 judges in the book of Judges that he raised up, and, and we know some of them. And maybe some of you don't even know that this is where you find the story of Samson. Samson was one of the judges of Israel, and we know that, that Samson, even as the deliverer and as the judge of Israel, himself fell into sin with Delilah. He broke all the, he broke all the commands, all the things that he was supposed to do as a Nazarite, Cutting his hair, finally cutting his hair, but he would, he did all the things that he wasn't supposed to do. Even he would accomplish the point 
each man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so God raised up 12 deliverers, 12 judges to save Israel. I want to go to Judges. Um, let's go back for a second to Numbers 33 first. We want to get some, some history here. So Joshua is taking the people. He takes them into the land of promise. And the whole, whole book of Joshua is, is them coming up and fighting and taking the territories. Before they went in, God spoke in Numbers 33:52, And God spoke to the children of Israel. And he said to them, verse 51, When you've crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide by the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the large you shall give a larger, to the smaller a smaller inheritance. Everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. Verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the lands from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. This was God's command to the Israelites. As you go in, completely dispossess them. Completely destroy them. Don't leave any behind. If you do not drive them out, they will become irritants in your eyes and thorns in your flesh. And so you find in the beginning of the book of Judges, chapter 1, that it's the continuing on of taking the land. But in verse 19, 119, it says, The Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And so they're trying to take the land, but it says that they couldn't drive out some of the inhabitants because they had iron chariots. And really, the reason they couldn't is because they were afraid. See, God was with them. God's promises were still there. They couldn't dispossess the people because they were afraid of the iron chariots. They were afraid that they were going to lose. And so they began to settle in. In verse 27, we find that Manasseh did not. It says in verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. In verse 28, it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute. They took their money. They would kind of put them down, subvert them, but they did not completely drive them out. In verse 29, we found out Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites nor Zebulun, nor Asher, nor Naphtali. The children of Israel were not fulfilling the commands that God had. And so immediately we would begin to say, it's because they were just disobedient and that they didn't drive them out that they went into sin. But I want to go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. God was very clear. You have to completely dispossess the land. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, 
I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. It wasn't just that they didn't dispossess the lands. It was that they got caught up in the worship of the other gods. And they let the other people influence them into walking in the ways of their world. They were intermingled with a people who was unholy. But it wasn't just the intermingling. It was that they allowed their practices to get in their life. And they began to walk away from the promises of God. And they began to walk away from God himself and began to do things and make their own religions and cross, even sometimes crossing their Judaism with other worships of other gods. And God said, because of that, I will not drive out the people for you. Because of that, they're going to be in this land and they're going to be snares to you. They're going to be thorns to you. Interesting here that as you could just read a little bit further, it says that they they followed the Lord and Joshua died and all the other elders died. Now, Joshua was already old and elders, by by being a fact, an elder showed that it wasn't much longer in verse 11, just a few verses later, but just a few years later, that after all those who died, the elders and Joshua Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. As soon as the leaders were gone, as soon as the leadership was gone, they began to do whatever they wanted to do. And they didn't submit any longer to the laws of God. And we find at the end, That the summary is, each man did that which was right in his own eyes. The moment the leadership was gone, remember, there is no king in Israel, and they don't want God as their king. And now that Joshua, the leader, is gone, who would hold them accountable and, and teach them and make them remember their oaths, they fall back into sin. God desires us to be a separate people. He desires us to be a holy people. A holy nation, unspoiled, uncorrupted by the world. And now, now, when we read those things today, we go, well, are we really supposed to, you know, should we just build a big compound here? We've got five acres. We could probably build a whole bunch of places and build a nice compound. We could all live happily ever after and sing Kumbaya together. And, you know, is that what God is calling? I don't believe that's what God is calling us to do. But yet he still to this day says, Come out from among them. Be separate. Be holy. Don't mix in with them. Don't allow their practices to get into your life. And by all means, don't do what's right in your own eyes. Interesting, it didn't say that the people did what was evil in their own eyes. And we actually have people today who do that. They, they think of the most evil things they can do, and they do that. But it didn't say that they did 
what was evil in their own eyes. They did what was right. They thought they were doing the right things, the good things. And yet, in that, they walked away from God and worshipped other gods and intermingled and let the world rot them and destroy them, even though that seemed right to them. This morning's story of, of the bricklayer, though, you know, for some of them it wasn't even funny. I think some of you said, oh, that's not funny at all. You know, that, that man, he had a plan, and he thought it was right. And he did what was right in his own eyes. He didn't ask for counsel. He didn't take into, laws, into, into mind the laws of gravity and the laws of physics. And what he did thinking it was right was not a good plan. Amen. How many of you have ever in the natural done something kind of like that where you kind of went, oh man, this is going to work great. You know? Isn't that what they say? You know, you got to be careful, you know, in the South when somebody says, hey, watch this! You know, someone's about to get hurt. Right? And, and uh, you know, we, we growing up, I was one of five kids and we used to do some, you know, crazy, crazy things. And uh, there was a lot of times that we thought this was this was right. I remember one time we um, we were all climbing climbing trees, and we had this kid with us who was real real rotund, and uh, his name was Jimbo. And so we climb up this tree, and and there was an old tree house there. I mean, it was probably thirty years old. It was just built up there. So we climbed up, and we're playing in this, and we got Jimbo up the tree. And he made it up there, and, and he's probably about eleven at this time. And one, you know, we're, so we do what we're doing up there, and, and we decide it's time to go home and, and get off the tree. And and Jimbo looked down. He says, "I can't climb down. I can't climb down." He says, "You've got to, you know." And he wouldn't. And so we looked, and there happened to be some old rope just kind of wrapped around some wood. Now this is an old tree house, and so we get this rope down, and and. We didn't realize it then, but it was cotton rope. And we've got this good 160-pound kid. He was, a, he was a big kid. And we tied the rope around his waist. <laughs> tied it really good. And, and there was three of us brothers. So we kicked Jimbo off. <laughs> and he swings out from the treehouse. And we start lowering down, and we get about one lower, you know, like one of these, and all of a sudden, bing, and the rope breaks. And Jimbo flies down, and we lean over just in time to see him bounce. And, you know, we got up, and, and we took him to, to home, and his mom was also really, a, he, she was a worrywart, and, and she wouldn't let him climb the tree, she wouldn't let him do anything. And so we, he's home, and he's got glass all over his, he's spitting dirt and glass, there was gla broken glass down there, and he's got a gash about that big on his arm, and, just, and he's just filthy, and scrapes, and a big gash, and he's spitting dirt and glass, and we get home, and he says, you, you can't tell your mom, you can't tell your mom what happened, don't tell mom. And so we walk in the house, and my mom was in the living room, and, and she goes, Jimbo, what happened? Now, you got to remember, we got a little rotund 11-year-old who, who just, he's just horribly cut, and, and he says, I was running, and I tripped. 
you know, later she says, yeah, only if he was running 50. It seemed like a good idea to lower him down with a rope. Had we had somebody there older that day, they, they probably would have warned us against, you know, a, an old fraying cotton rope. But we did that which was right in our own eyes, in the natural. And sometimes they can be really funny stories. Sometimes you've crashed a car doing that or rolled a car on the way up to Butler Peak or whatever else. And, and you know, you've done things. What about when we do that in the spiritual realm? It's one thing when you crash a car because you think it's going to be fun to go four by and up a too steep of a hill and you go, oh, what a bummer. My car rolled over and you pound out the dent, you go and do it again. But what happens when your when your life rolls and you make bad spiritual choices and bad moral choices because you think it's the right thing to do, but you're not under the counsel of the word of God. You're not under the leadership that God has placed in your life. We live in a crazy world, this country more than any other other in the in the world. It's so about individual individuality and personal rights and you know, every it's it's just amazing where we all want our own way, we want our own religion, we want everything custom made. You go to restaurants and, and you just, it doesn't matter what's on the menu, you're going to tell them what you want and how you want it. And, you know, and, 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 and there's nothing, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it just ekes out that we just want things our own way. You know, what happened to public pools? I mean, public pools are going away because we have our own pool. You know, I don't need a public pool where we can have lots of kids. Let's have our own. And when we live in Oakdale, we saw so many pools. You know, you could do the Google Earth and you can look in our little town where we used to live in Oakdale. There was pools everywhere. And thought, nobody ever uses them. And if they do, it's one or two people using them. But they have their own pool. We have our own ideas. We, we want our own houses. We want our own spaces. And we want everything just the way we want it. And that begins to influence the way we serve God. We want our own religion. I'll take a little bit of this. A lot of grace, you know. I like that sins that I don't do are bad, but the sins that I do do, those aren't. And we begin to almost create our own religions, our own faith. It's slow, but it creeps into us all the time. And we justify it, and we say, well, it it seems right. Things can begin to just seem right, and then it's, once again, the judges. People are doing that, which is right in their own eyes. The horrible thing happening right now, and you, some of you have heard about it, and I, I'm just getting abreast, but it's worse than hazing, but bullying and hating and hazing homosexuals. You know, we're Christians. People, we should have no part with anything like that. That should never be done by a Christian. You know, hate crimes against people who, who are deceived and living in sin. But the Bible is clear that sin is sin. You know, would we ever do that about somebody who gossips? Oh, let's go beat them up because they gossip. But it's sin. <laughs> yeah.
But we'll justify it and say, yeah, but they're they're polluting and they're 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 hurting other people. And so let's go hurt them. Well, that's not what Jesus called us to do. But we'll justify it. These are the things that that we've got to be really aware of. What would you know, and not not just a cliche, but what would Jesus do? You know, often we, we say that or you, you see the WWJD and we. We go, yeah, what would Jesus do? But do we actually take enough time to go into the Word of God and find out what He would do? Do we study and know Him enough to know His nature and His character? Because that's what Jesus is. It's His nature. And you can't just find His nature by reading a verse that says that homosexuality is an abomination to God and go with that and say, because it's an abomination to God, I'm going to go kill or beat up or, or, or hurt emotionally and mentally homosexuals. It also says that shellfish are an abomination to God. You know, we get, we, we, we get really lost sometimes picking out the little things that we want to pick out. Somebody wrote a letter to Dr. Laura years ago. It was really, really interesting what they, what they did. She was talking about her Jewish faith and, and, and different subjects. And so they, they wrote a little letter to her, or at least it was supposedly a letter to her, and it said, I really thank you, Dr. Lohr, for your insight into, into the laws that we should follow. I just have a few questions. Um, and it began to go into the Levitical laws. You know, in, the, in Leviticus, it tells us that we're not supposed to have any touch, even any, any pigs, basically, in short. It says, can I still play football if I wear gloves? Because that's an abomination to God, too. Pointing out, you know, the, the law, these things. Well, for us as Christians, we can just pick one thing here, one thing there and say, oh, well, that's bad and that's bad and that's bad. But what we need to do is back up and, and look at the whole word of God and say, what is God saying to us? Did God tell us to build a compound here? No. He says, be separate from among them, even when you're working at Starbucks. When you're out in the workplace, don't look like the world. Don't intermingle with them. Don't let their practices become your practices. Be separate. Be apart. Follow the word of God. Joshua, do not let this book of, and Joshua 1, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And so we need to go to the word of God and see, God, what is your nature? What is your character? What do you say? I don't want to do that, which is right in my own eyes. Proverbs twelve fifteen says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. 21, 2 in Proverbs says every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. You know what we're guilty of often is not doing something bad, inherently bad in itself. We're guilty of falling slowly away from the counsel of God and the counsel of spiritual counsel that's over us and beginning to do that which is right in our own eyes. And we walk away from a leader. There was no king in Israel. You know, we, we don't live... Now, remember, Israel is a spiritual nation. Now, we have secular Israel and we have spiritual Israel. We're talking... When I'm speaking this morning, I'm talking about spiritual Israel. We would, I would never say that, that we follow the president, no matter who he is, as our spiritual leader. 
we submit to him as the as the president. We give him honor and there's laws in place. And we the Bible says that we obey the laws of the land, but we don't submit to his leadership as a spiritual leadership. So whose leadership do we submit to God? Yes. But also the leadership that God puts in place in our lives. See, God was the ruler of, of Israel, but he also would put leaders to lead them, to shepherd them. And they were to submit to that. But the moment Joshua died, they began to do what they wanted to do. And they didn't want another leader. They just lived their life. When God said, completely remove them, he knew what would happen. In Deuteronomy, it says, In the cities of the nation, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. As the Lord God, you commanded you. In verse 18, it says this, listen. Otherwise, this is why. We don't look at the first part alone and pull it out and say that. We say, why did he say that? Completely destroy them. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin. If you if you let your life be corrupted, they're gonna the world will teach you what to do, and you will sin. We've got to be very careful in this world where where secularism and spiritualism and Christianity it's it's mingled in, and sometimes you can't separate what is secular, what is spiritual, what is Christian. And we have this hodgepodge of beliefs, even in this room. The enemies come into the church and made everyone individual so that we come together to church on a Sunday morning and we listen to a little bit of teaching. And we'll all get, many of us today will get a message different than somebody else, sadly, because one, we're looking as people. This is just people. I'm not pointing the fingers at anyone. Human nature, we tend to pull out the things that we want to hear. We hear those things more than others. Some of you hear the negative all the time. You hear, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm bad. I'm evil. And you walk away from a message and, and, and beat yourself up. But we need the whole counsel of God. We need to begin to get into that and go, God, I don't want to do the things of my own eyes. I want to do what's right in your eyes. Teach me. Show me. See, God's desire is always... He, he didn't tell them, the Israelites, to do that because He wanted to hurt them. He had a promised land for them. He had something great that He wanted them to walk in. And that's what God has for us today. This is a, the heavy moment of going, yeah, this is heavy. And, you know, are, are we bad? No, we're not bad. But we need to get back to the counsel of God. Why? Because God wants to bless you. He wants to give you an inheritance. He wants to give you a promise. He wants to give. I, I mean, God was so good this morning when he gave the word that not, through worshiping God, we also need to be thinking about those that are lost. There is a lost and dying world out there that needs Jesus. And we need to give them the true Jesus. Unadulterated, unchanged. From the word of God. Not with our bents, not with the things that we desire to put onto it, but we need to give them the God of the Bible. And he has a plan and desire that the lost would be saved. 
And I know every one of us in this room has a family member or a close friend who's unsaved. And we don't want them to go to hell. But if we give them the wrong gospel, they may, they may get a gospel and still go to hell. It has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to be the word. We've, we've got to begin to shake off this spirit that the world is trying to put on us, that the devil is trying to put on us, of, of being individuals so much that we, we don't even want to live in community. We don't want to do these things and begin to come back and say, no, I want to sit and be part of the nation of Israel, spiritual Israel, under the kingship of God, under the leadership of the spiritual leaders that God has placed you under. You might be visiting this morning, and and I don't want to discourage you discourage you in any way. But if you if you are sitting in here and you have a pastor who preaches the word of God, and God has placed you there, you need to be faithful in serving there, not just looking for the things that you want. Oh, that doesn't please me quite as well. We can't be just going about how we feel. Now, if, if there's inappropriateness in the Word of God or doctrinal errors, that's great. But I, I want to encourage you, and if you're sitting in here thinking about leaving, or if you're sitting in here thinking about leaving where you're from, that don't do it on your own. Don't just leave the place that God has got you, because, see, that is the leadership. God is the king, but God has placed you under spiritual leadership, and we're supposed to submit to that. As pastors, we have a council of elders that we submit to each other. If, I'm, if, if you ever find me out of place and find that I'm not submitting to the elders, you need to just get rid of me. Because I am, even as a pastor, I am not an answer to myself. I have to be in, in, in relationship and in fellowship and in accountability. I, have to, I, answer, I can't just answer to God only, only because the moment I do that, I'll make God be whoever I want him to be. I need to be accountable to the word of God and people who, who will hold me accountable to this word of God. Not opinion of man. Not opinion of man, but of God. And so, the, so this, this holds true to all of us. And as we begin to do that, I believe we will become a nation and an army. Can you imagine the military running around and going, hey, but I want to go over there and shoot them. I want to go over there and shoot them. I don't want to shoot anybody. I want to play patty cake. But you, you look at the, you, we look at the church and we go, man, I think we're doing that. Some people are shooting the homosexuals and some people are shooting the politicians and, and other people are, are playing patty cake with the devil. God, help me. Where's my life? Am I doing that which is right in my own eyes or am I truly doing that which is right in yours? And what's great is we don't have to guess. It's here. Is that something we have to say? Well, well, you know, God gives us not, the, not just the commandments, but he gives us his personality and his character. That's who Jesus is. When, when God, when Moses says, God, I want to see you, and God says, you can't see my face, you'll die, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to pass in front of you, I'm going to put my hand over your eyes. I'm going to pass in front of you, as I pass in front of you, I'm going to remove my hand, and you can see my backside. And it gives us a list in that passage that when God passed by Moses and he saw the backside of God, 
they sought God, the God who is merciful and loving and just, forgiving sins. But it also goes on to say punishing the sins. And, and we just get a small glimpse of God. We see the nature. We see part of the nature and character of God. His word, when you read the whole word and nothing but the word, you get his nature and character. But if you read just one part, you're only getting part of it. God, who are you? We need to know him. We need to know him so that we can follow him. We need to know him personally through his word and through prayer and fellowship with him to begin to know him and stop doing what we want to do. As of a few years ago, there was a study that I read that there was only one county. And I, I, I wish I had the study. I'd like to verify it. But everyone else confirms. Every other study I've read confirms it. There was only one county in the whole United States that showed true church growth. Only one county. All of the growth that, we were see, that, that the churches were seeing was either transfer growth from other churches or for every person that was saved, somebody left the church. We're not making good headway here. The world needs God. And we're trying to become like the world so that they can see God. If we become like the world, they're just going to see themselves. But if we walk in rightness and holiness, and in the characters of God, loving, merciful, gracious, they'll see God in us. And they can truly meet Him. Because God has a desire that people prosper. They're saved. Joshua, I said in 1, it says this in verse 23, Joshua says, Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. We have to come to a point where we recognize and understand that this word is truth. I want to give you just a few quick scriptures or just some, um, not, some of them, I'm just going to read a few things real quick. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify us by your truth. I'm talking about truth today without having said the word. I'm talking about truth. What is truth? My way is not truth. It's just my way. Your way isn't true. It's just your way. What is truth? Your word. Your word, O oh God, is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I, I am the way and the truth. So we have the word is truth and Jesus is truth. In John 1, 1, it says that Jesus is the word. You can't just have Jesus Without the word. And you can't just have the word. Without Jesus. Muslims. Believe in Jesus. 
but they don't believe in the word. Other cults believe in the word, but don't believe in Jesus, who he truly is, matched up with the word. You have to have both. Relationship, fellowship with Jesus, but it's got to be founded in the word of God. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, Psalm 119 says. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? We need to have his word into us. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word is going to keep us from evil. The word is going to help us to know the heart, the nature, and the character of God. We have sayings that we elevate above the Word of God. And I want to say, and I, God has been convicting me of this all the time. You know, and, and I realize I'm, I'm getting older, I'm getting more mature in the faith. I am guilty of saying things like, I'm not religious, I just love Jesus. What does that mean? It's a great bumper sticker. It's a great thing we say to people, but what is it? I don't even know if we know what it means. And by doing that, we're shooting down religion. And as far as I remember, Jesus says, pure and undefiled religion is this. Caring for widows and orphans. We should be into religion. This is this was really funny one. I hate organized religion. Is unorganized religion any better? You know, if we're organizing religion under the word of God and the counsel of God, then then that's a good organization. God is into organization. I think the world is organized with the planets and the solar system and the stars. But it needs to be organized under the word of God. Let's begin to press back into those things. You know, man, I need to be together in the fellowship of the saints. And I need to be in the word of God. I need to be in a place that's going to preach this from beginning to end and follow the things that are written in it, not just making up the things that we want to hear. In the end times, it's going to get worse and worse because it's the Bible says that men will lay up for themselves teachers that will teach them what their itching ears want to hear. Some statements I've heard made by Christians. Talking about a a, a preacher, a visiting preacher. I like him because he doesn't talk about doctrine. He just talks about Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus apart from doctrine might not be Jesus. This is doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching. The teachings of Christ. The teachings of the Bible. I heard a Christian leader once say to their, their, their group, every time you read fear God, I want you to pre- replace it with the word love God. Now we get to change the word of God because, because we don't like fear. We don't, like, we don't understand fear of God, so we're going to just replace it with love. This person wasn't a 
It wasn't a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or somebody in some cult. Somebody who really loved Jesus. I've heard Christians say, I don't read the Old Testament, just the New. Then let's get rid of it. Right? I mean, it must be a waste. I don't believe in hell. Said by a Christian. A Christian who's been saved a long time and in church a long time. I don't believe in hell. I have a hard time with a God who would let anyone go to hell. Wrong thinking like that helps the lost go to hell. It might not change. The, 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 the believer of that statement will probably go to heaven. They, they, they received Christ in faith and, and repented of their sins. But a belief like that, I believe, can help the unbeliever stay an unbeliever and never meet Jesus. If there is no hell, then what is heaven for? It's all heaven, right? And we begin to build our own doctrine. Each man did that which was right in his own eyes. We don't make up our own religions. We don't make up our own rules. We need to come squarely, strongly into the Word of God. Find others, mature believers, Counsel together and pray together. Submit yourself to leadership. And that is something we don't like in this culture at all. Submission. You know, I I used to I used to own a wedding chapel, many of you know that, but I used to own a wedding chapel and and at more than one occasion the bride asked me to take out the part of the wedding ceremony where it says, Wives submit to your husband. Would you please not say that? We don't want to submit to anybody. We don't want to submit to the boss. We don't want to submit. We want to do our own thing. You may own your own company and be successful in the world. You, you may have it going together. That's great. But when it comes to your Christianity, you're not your own boss. This is where we have to leave it behind and say, you know what? I'm not my own boss. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. My king is Jesus. God has brought me into a place of, of, of ministry and, and where I sit under the leadership of a pastor. Now, you need to make sure you check your pastor out. Be like the Bereans. Make sure that the word of God preached on a weekly basis is truly the word of God. If you've got a question, go to that person. Go to other people. Don't make just rash decisions on your own. All this, I'm talking to myself. I, I, I'm in here. God has, has had to minister to me through these things. I'm a guy. Naturally, that makes me prideful. Because us guys, man, we struggle with that. We want to do it our way. We want to do it, you know, I mean, I, I, there was a lot of unity happening here. Yes, so that was great. You know, but you go to a lot of job sites, man. If you get a couple of contractors there and they say, hey, this is what we want to do, man. You're going to find differing opinions. Oh, man, that's not the way to do it. This is the way to do it. There was, there was even a, I was sitting in a car one time in Oakdale, and there was, we lived in Oakdale, and up north and to the, to the west a little bit was um, 
Stockton. And three guys were arguing. I mean, arguing on what was the best way to drive there. No, if you go down this road and you, and you go up Valley Home, it's the shortest. No, you've got to go up by the river. And they would just would not let it die. I've been driving this for 20 years and it's faster. We just, we, we, we are prime candidates to serve God in the way we want to do. We've got to be careful, man. And yet God, God wants us to be the spiritual leader. He's chosen us and anointed us in our homes and our families. We need to come under and submit to God and submit to the leadership that God has placed us under as they're preaching the Word of God. They're not teaching the Word of God. Confirm that and move on. Move on. This morning, I just want to, we're going to close the service in prayer and a time of ministry up at the up front. And as we're, as we're doing this, if you want to come forward to pray yourself or, or to receive prayer, um, we're going to have some, some music playing. And it's just a time of reflecting on, on the message. On not being one of those who just does what's right in our own eyes, but truly following after God and His Word and His ways. As we do that, if you come, or even if you don't come, if, if you're done praying or if you feel like you're ready to leave, this will be the dismissal. We'll do it quietly. You can fellowship outside. Um, we'll, we'll keep in here for kind of quiet for those receiving prayer and coming to pray. But we want to give an opportunity. And this is just kind of between you and God to come and say, you know what? I think in this area, I've been doing what was right in my own eyes. And I want to give that back to you. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I'm going to commit to your word and to your way. The song that's going to be played is a song called Mere Reflection. And, and the key word, the, 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 the verse in there says that I'm changed by the mere reflection of your glory. Apart from God, apart from a relationship with Jesus and his anointing, this, this book is just words. But with His anointing and His presence and His power, it's life. And so when we come forward, we're not just saying, I'm going to just read the words of the book and try to follow them. I'm going to be changed in your presence by your, your reflection. I'm going to be changed by your glory and that is going to empower me to live according to the Word of God. And so as we pray and close and do that, like I said, this will be the, the, the dismissal. We'll go out quietly. There's actually a table out there with stuff. If it's yours, take it with you on outside. It was found in the kitchen. If you want it, take it. If it's yours, take it. But let's pray. Father God, just come forward as you need, as you feel. Lord, I don't ever want to be found as one who does what's right in my own eyes.